0: Acts chapter 3. We are glad to be back. You'll notice uh, that Steph is joining me, and if you're newish to Regen, uh, whether online or in person, uh, one of the things that you'll see pretty often is, uh, well, maybe often but not frequently, that Steph and I will co-teach together. Um, And this is because what we know in Scripture is that churches thrive when men and women partner together. So when men and women are together, churches thrive. But we also really believe that as Regen is a spiritual family, I get to be the spiritual dad, but Steph is called to be the spiritual mom. And so when spiritual parents parent together, there's some power in that. And and, and we often kind of join together in a teaching ministry when we come to a text or a moment that we feel like it's especially important uh, for our spiritual family to grasp it. Um, The Bible kind of identifies like two gifts or two ministries, the ministry of teaching and the ministry of preaching. And they they have an overlapping function. That's true. But they're also distinct in that preaching is more of a proclamation. It's it's a call for a response. Whereas teaching is more of an equipping. And when we come to a time that we want to do more equipping, I often bring Steph along because she helps me be a little more concrete as we equip y'all for the work that Jesus is calling us to do.
1: So we're here uh, together this morning to do some teaching um, because we're coming up on a key passage in Acts that we really want to slow down, um, observe and live into. Um, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live the lifestyle of Jesus, to embody and embrace the words of Jesus, the ways of Jesus and the works of Jesus. Um, we want to be with Jesus, to know who He is. We don't We want to spend time with him so that we can really know and understand um, who He is. We want to be like Him, We want to live in the way that he would live and and not just in kind of this cheesy what would Jesus do kind of way but in an actual I have a relationship with him and I know um, what he would want me to do and um, as we do that we want to look at what Jesus says because in John 14 12 Jesus says I tell you the truth anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works and so Jesus promised his followers that they would do even greater things than he had done and in Acts 3, we see those greater works in action. Um, in Acts 2, we saw the early church empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, we heard the wind. We saw the, the tongues of fire falling on heads, people preaching the gospel in languages that they didn't know. Um, we saw Peter preach a sermon to 3,000 people and saw those, those 3,000 people repent and believe the gospel. And at the close of Acts 2, we find the early church beginning to gather together. It says um, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, And shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Um, In Acts 2, the early church is marked by the miraculous. And some of that miraculous is um, these miracles. Some of it was even just them living life together in such a way that it was attractive to those that saw them. It says that they were being added to their numbers daily because people saw how they were living and wanted to be a part of that. Um, But a lot of the apostles were performing these miraculous signs and wonders, and here in Acts 3, Luke zooms in to show us one of the many miracles the apostles performed, the healing of a man who has been lame since birth.
0: Oh, is it me? Okay. So... my back now. There I am. Hi. I tur- I fixed my mic. That's why. Um, you're already open to Acts 3, but I want to kind of give a little bit of cultural vision for why this is happening and why we're teaching on it. Um, while I was preparing for this, I found some research by Barna. Barna is a Christian research organization. They'll often do studies with American Christians or just Americans in general. And they did a study in 2016 in which they found of American adults believe that God can heal supernaturally. 66% of American adults believe that God can heal supernaturally. And what catches my attention about that statistic is that it's not 66% of American Christians. It's 66% of American adults. So two out of three of your friends who are not Christians who you've invited to church but don't really express an interest in that. They say, I don't do the overt God stuff. They still believe that God or a higher power can heal physically and supernaturally. This is why a friend of yours that you've invited to church who's never come, if their loved one got sick, they might reach out to you and say, hey, can you be praying? Can you get your church praying for this person in my life? And don't you stop when that happens and think, well, that's surprising because I thought you don't care about this, right? But that's because two out of three American adults believe that God can supernaturally heal. Now, that's interesting because our society is becoming more and more secular, more and more anti religious by the day. And while our society is becoming more secular, more disinterested in the Lord, studies also show that our society is becoming more and more interested in the supernatural. These are opposite ideas, aren't they? Our society is also really good at holding two conflicting views in their head without thinking about it. Um, So as our society is becoming more secular, it's also becoming more interested in the supernatural. This is why horror movies are a good thing, because they reveal an interest in the supernatural. As our society becomes increasingly disinterested in God, our society also becomes increasingly desperate for God's intervention. As our society casts off the authority of Scripture, it becomes more eager for the God who inspired that Scripture to step in and change the course of events. And what's so fascinating is that while our society is more secular and more interested in the supernatural, our society as a whole is more interested in the supernatural than the average Christian. Uh, Barna found in this same study that the older a Christian is, the less likely he or she is to believe that God still works miracles. The older a Christian is, the less likely a person is to believe that God can still do the supernatural. Simultaneously, younger Christians, millennials in particular, are the most likely to agree that tongues should be part of the weekly worship gathering. Millennials are more likely than any other generation to believe that God can still do the miraculous today. But millennials are also very likely uh, to believe that the Holy Spirit is little more than a symbol, not a person, not a, not a real thing, but just a symbol, just an invisible force. And the reason I bring all of this up is we have a society that believes by and large that God can heal, but we have Christians who generally don't believe what the Bible says. What I'm saying to you is that the average non-Christian in our society has a more biblical worldview when it comes to the supernatural than the average Christian. The, the, The average person in our society has a more biblical worldview as it comes to the supernatural than does the average Christian. And as followers of Jesus, we have been called to have our worldview shaped by the Scriptures. As followers of Jesus, we want to receive every grace and promise that has been offered to us. And so as a church, what we are doing is intentionally, prayerfully, and wisely seeking out what it means to develop a dependence on the Holy Spirit, a relationship with Him. Not for wild experiences, not for sensationalism, not uh, for crazy experiences that we can have together, but because the dependence on the Holy Spirit dependence on the supernatural, might be a key tool in our toolbox to reach our friends and neighbors. Because what happens, what happens if that person who reached out to us and said, would your church pray for my loved one? What happens if we prayed for that person and the doctor walked in and said, I have no medical explanation why, but this person has been cured? Does that not give us a unique opportunity to say, The doctor doesn't know why, but hi, I do. His name is Jesus. And in fact, that's what we see here in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, there's a miracle that is performed, and it gives Peter a unique opportunity to preach the gospel. What I'm saying to you is that our interest in things of the Holy Spirit isn't sensational, it's missional. It's out of a desire to reach our friends and neighbors, not to have cool worship nights, but so that we can, we can be living into the mission that Jesus has given us. So Acts chapter 3. Let me just give you a quick flyover that Steph and I are going to unpack it. We'll be out of here by about 1.30. So in Acts 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Uh, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Let's stop there for a second. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple because the early church gathered for public worship in the temple. The early church, don't know if you know this, they didn't have church buildings yet, right? What did they have? They had the temple. So the early Christians, the Messianic Jews is what they were, went to the temple for their, those scheduled times of worship to pray together. Then these three, four or 5,000 Christians in the city of Jerusalem would scatter into homes where they lived as spiritual families on mission to their neighbors. And so here are Peter and John heading to the temple to have this time of public worship. And on the way, they see a man who is lame. And Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, gives us a key insight. He says he's been lame from birth. Why does he want us to know that he's been lame from birth? He wants us to know that for as long as anybody who's gone to the temple can remember there's been this guy that's been there begging for money. He didn't just get lame because of a working accident, you know, a few weeks ago. He, he didn't lose the ability to walk just randomly. No, since he was little, people brought him outside the gate where he would beg. That's what it says in the second half of verse 2. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Verse 4 says, Peter and John looked at him intently. Looked at him intently. Steph and I lived in Chicago for a time. Chicago has a really significant homeless population. And you don't live in Chicago for very long before you train yourself not to look at homeless people. You train yourself to kind of build these blinders and not make eye contact Uh, is that the most Christian response? No, but it is the response of someone who's bombarded by 30 homeless people in the matter of four or five blocks, right? So what's so interesting is all of these people going to the temple don't even look at this guy, but it says in verse four that Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. See, not only do you train yourself not to look at homeless people, homeless people train themselves not to look at you. They're hedging disappointment, they're covered in shame, and in this moment where Peter and John look intently at this homeless, uh, this, this, not homeless, this lame guy, and they have this moment of eye contact, what Peter and John are doing is restoring this guy's dignity. They're restoring his humanity. Peter and John looked intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, get up and walk. Verse 7 says, Peter took up the lame man by the right hand, helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with him. When, when I was in Cuba back in January, we were praying for a guy that came forward who had glaucoma, couldn't see. So we started praying for him and, and pray about that. And I think you, if you've heard me tell the story, I like to tell it a lot, but then he kind of started saying, could you also pray for this bug bite on my leg? And we couldn't tell what was going on. Something was getting lost in translation. And, uh, so David, who was praying for the guy said, um, have him put his hands over where the problem is. And he kind of did a, a this, and we were like, oh, that kind of bug bite. Okay. So we did not lay hands uh, on the affected area. Uh, we kept the hands on the shoulders and we prayed for him. And after we'd done prayed, praying for him, he started jumping up and down, saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Right? This is what this guy is doing. He's jumping up and down, praising the Lord. This is in fulfillment of Isaiah 33, excuse me, Isaiah 35, says, "'Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, "'for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. "'He is coming to save you. "'And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind "'and unplug the ears of the deaf. "'The lame will leap like a deer, "'and those who cannot speak will sing for joy.'" Uh, Peter and John find that the crowds are astounded and amazed. Those are the two words that Luke uses. Astounded and amazed is exactly what your neighbor or friend would be if we prayed for their loved one and they were healed, right? So these astounded and amazed people come running into Solomon's portico, an area in the temple. And while they're there, it gives Peter an opportunity to preach a sermon. And the sermon preaches in Acts 3 has a lot of similarities with Acts 2. It has an emphasis on Jesus being betrayed by the Jewish people. It has an emphasis on Jesus's death, but more importantly, his resurrection. It has an emphasis on Jesus being the fulfillment of the old covenant promises given to Israel. Uh, It has quotes from the Old Testament, but I want to look at verses just 12 through 16 briefly. So jump down there if you're following along. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd, Lord, let it be said of us that we do not miss the opportunities that are given to us, right? People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we have made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is God, the God of our Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. I think that's a great turn of phrase. But God raised him from the dead, and you are witnesses of this. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. This paragraph is so important because we have so much confusion when it comes to people who perform miracles, um, and we start to elevate the person who performed the miracles and think they're a super Christian. But this is an area where I am comfortable saying the following. The Bible is clear. And the Bible is clear here in this paragraph about three things. The first thing that Peter says that the Bible makes clear is, is that no one heals someone else by their own power or godliness, right? When David prayed for that guy uh, who was healed of some sort of weird venereal STD thing, plus the glaucoma, plus maybe other things, I don't know, it's not because David was a super Christian. It's not because David has a lot of faith. It's not because David is a superhero, it's not of David's own godliness or power. And, and when we think it's someone's godliness or power that does those things, that's what causes us to worship the person and not the Jesus working through them, right? So what Peter makes clear is that it's not by the power of my own godliness or, 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 or faith that this happened. Instead, Peter says, it happened because God wanted to honor his servant Jesus. He wanted to glorify his servant Jesus Miracles, healing, that is a blessing to the person who receives it, right? It is a blessing when God works a miracle in our lives. It is a blessing to us, but that is not the primary reason that God does it. God does it to glorify his son, to make his son more famous. And any desire for any miracle that is not for Jesus to be made more famous uh, it will ultimately fall short then you're just performing magic. You're not participating in the way of Jesus. Finally, Peter says, this man's faith in the name of Jesus has healed him. And I think our eyes are improperly drawn to the man's faith instead of the object of his faith, right? It is not the man's faith uh, alone that caused him to be healed. What caused him to be healed was the object of his faith, the name of Jesus, the name that Philippians 2 says at which every knee on earth and under earth and in heaven will bow, right? And so Steph's going to unpack a little bit about the power of the name of Jesus.
1: So we all know that names are important, that they have power. Um, You know, a child who's maybe been called like an idiot their whole life is going to grow up feeling less than, feeling unable to maybe succeed, feeling like, yeah, maybe I am really stupid, Um, whereas a child who's been told, like, hey, you're really brave, you're really kind, um, is more likely to grow up being brave and kind and to think, like, I can do hard things, like someone believes in me. Um, As we were talking about this last night, we both kind of were immediately struck by the same story. Someone um, we knew in a previous church, um, she asked us to call her Carolyn, and I accidentally called her Caroline one time because the way her name was spelled, and and she looked at me and she said, please don't, please don't call me that because my mom would always say, Caroline, you're such an idiot. And, and so she said, so I, ca- I call myself Carolyn now. And and we, I remember going home and even just telling like that, Kyle was standing there when it happened. Mm-hmm. I was talking about afterwards and just thinking like that, like that's just such a, such a sad story. Such like a heartbreaking story of what a name can do. Um, but for us, we have positive power in a name. We have the name of Jesus. And, you know, just like um, when you think about, like, as a police officer is, is chasing down, like, a bank robber and they, like, say stop in the name of the law, the the, the the bank robber doesn't stop because of the police officer's name, he stops because of what he represents, the law of our land. And so um, just like that, the law authorizes that police officer to make that arrest, we have the same authority based on the name of Jesus, Those of us who follow Jesus have been authorized to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did. That's why, again, in John 14, 12 through 14, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And, you know, as we were kind of reflecting on this, Often this can kind of feel like, well, if I just ask God to, like, you know, I need a new car. Like, God give me a new car. Man, I wish I had a little bit more money in my savings account. God, could you just kind of, like, bump that amount up? Um, While the Father does care about our material needs and he does promise to provide for our actual needs... What this is talking about here, this kind of authority, is not about material goods but about spiritual healing, about doing things that Jesus did. And and what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't go around making gold grow on trees. He didn't offer people um, castles. What Jesus did was he cast out demons he healed the sick, he sought justice for the oppressed, and he raised the dead. So what Jesus did was actually improve people's quality of life by bringing like healing and hope and health to them that only he could bring. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says that when we operate with the authorization of his name, we will do these things and more. We're authorized to do the kinds of things he did when we operate under his name. And I think this is... This is a little bit of a stumbling sticking point for me because I I don't feel like I have that authority. I don't feel like I have that power. Um, But as we, the encouragement I found in this, as Kyle just said, is that it's not about my faith. Hmm. It's not about what I believe to be true other than it's about me believing in Jesus and calling on his name and trusting in who he is. In the early part of Acts, we see the apostles performing miracles— only, but as the church expands, um, and as the apostles, disciple, um, the average people in their church, we begin to see that supernatural become a natural part of their life together. In Galatians three five, Paul, um, in passing, notes that miracles were a common occurrence in the Galatian church, and in First and Second Corinthians, Paul indicates that the miraculous was just part of being part of the family of Jesus. So, as the church grows and expands, the supernatural way of living just becomes a natural way of living.
0: I think the reason that we're teaching this together is because the calling of Jesus on our church to be a word and spirit church is just so clear, right? Um, And we have people in our spiritual family who want the word only or the spirit only. So I've got sensationalists over here trying to run after experience and wild. I've got cessationists over here saying, let's just leave the Holy Spirit stuff out but as we look at the New Testament church, the New Testament church is a church that is both word and spirit driven, right? It is um, both, si- both pedals of the bicycle working together to move the mission forward. Uh, because that's been so clear uh, in our church uh, for months now, some of you are new to our church, but God began, frankly, God's been building our theology of the Holy Spirit since Joey and Julia went to Iraq, uh, because something happened the night that we commissioned them that started to make us realize that the Holy Spirit was doing some stuff. And, and also to be really clear, not only is this a calling that we feel like we have, Steph and I, as, as we parent our church, functionally we are leading a church with charismatic tendencies after not having grown up in charismatic churches, right? And so what we've really had to do is seek out mentoring and listening and focused study on scripture but also for us to take out big steps of faith and 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 that's why i would also add before we start unpacking this we are not operating in this teaching time out of a lot of experience right we are living examples we are not perfect examples um, and, and for us, while we feel a call on our life and on our church's life to grow in dependence on the Holy Spirit, we are feeling our way there together. Um, and so my, my encouragement would be that if that's something that scares you, right, um, I invite you um, to remember who's talking to you, right? Can we ask you to trust us? But can we also ask you to just patiently and humbly go into the Word of God as we kind of pursue this together? Um, Because some of us are recovering from really bad experiences. Uh, Some of us have had great experiences that we want to replicate over and over again, and we want to be a part of what God is doing here and now in our midst, live action. And so this sermon, we want to just unpack about three or four ways that that could happen. So one of the things I I want us, the, the kind of aha moment I want us to have is that this is for you. This is for you. This is our inheritance. Our inheritance is that we are authorized by the power of the name of Jesus to do the kind of things that Jesus did, right? We just didn't sing, clap to, right? You cast out demons, bid the empty soul be filled. You, now there's breakthrough, and it says, you gave us power and the keys to do the same, right? And so when we operate in the name of Jesus, he gives us that power. This is for you. And and, and sometimes our problem or, or our reluctance to accept our inheritance is actually something like theological. And the theology is, I don't think Jesus was serious. I don't think Jesus was serious. I don't think Jesus, when he said, you will do greater things than I do, I don't think that Jesus really meant it. Um, A lot of us functionally believe that God can, we just don't believe that God will. We believe that God can, we just don't believe that God will. And if God would, we don't think he would do it in and through us, right? But another kind of obstacle is more practical, which is we've had these really wacky experiences or we've met this strange person. I mean, when you start getting into kind of the charismatic ministry world, uh, a mentor of mine at seminary, Dr. Pete Bellini, says it's it's like a granola party, right? It's just nuts and flakes, right? Um, and and that's not what we want. We don't want nuts and flakes. Like I don't want to have such a friendship with the Holy Spirit that I can't be friends with anybody else. I want to be naturally supernatural, right? Not awkwardly supernatural, right? I I, I and so. Um, there's, there's a value to separating out some of those weird experiences and going to the word and even owning maybe things have been said to us or prayed over us that has happened to us. Um, a random person once handed me a Bible and said, God told me to give this to you to read. And it said, it was a passage from the Old Testament that said, um, when you enter the land, neither shall you miscarry nor shall you be barren. It was after our first miscarriage, I took that as the Lord is saying no more miscarriages. We had two more before we had Jack. So was that guy crazy? Did he have a bad taco? I mean, we're kind of embracing mystery here, aren't we? But sometimes it's separating out some of those things and instead hearing the invitation of Jesus to take a step in faith. The way that we begin to lay hold of our inheritance is you know, figuring out what our theology is, kind of disentangling some of the practical stuff, but even more so, what we're asking you to do today is to take a bold step of faith to start praying more boldly, to, uh, pray I mean, one of the things that I'm working my way toward is praying for people with physical needs and then asking them, uh, do you feel better, right? The first step was somebody said, let's, can you pray for this? I'm going to start praying right now. That's what I've started doing, right? So you say to me, hey, can you pray for my grandmother's nephews, cousins, former roommates, dogs, owner's toe? Yes, let's pray for that right now, right? out loud, uh, and in the name of Jesus. The next step I want to start saying is when someone says, can you pray for me with this thing, I want to start saying, do you feel better? That scares me to death, right? But it's what it looks like to take a step in faith. And some of you, the, the next step has to do with praying, period, or praying out loud, or um, those kinds of things. I'm rambling now. You. You.
1: Um, I think it's really important to, um, you know, we've kind of I've tried to highlight, I think, even one of the reconnects about, like, our women's prayer group and, and how we've seen answers to prayer. I think part of the reason we've been doing that is because we want to highlight and hold before us that God is answering our prayers. Because sometimes, I mean, it does just feel like you're, like, letting balloons, up. you know, there's this big thing on Facebook right now, like, any, send positive vibes, which I'm always Ew. like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that feels like it does. hurts. To... Yeah, like, am I, you know, like... But for us, we have an action we can take. Our prayers do get heard. They do matter. They do result. So that's why we're trying to really kind of hold up in front of us too that God is answering prayers in our midst. There have been multiple answered prayers over the summer, for healing, for provision of homes. Um, The the women's prayer group prayed for my brother. He and his uh, three of his children and his wife are moving to the UK to do missions work. They couldn't find a house. They really wanted to take their dog. We prayed like. A couple days later, I called my mom. Yeah, this lady walked into the missions organization. She has a house. She's willing to hold it until they can get there. It's big enough for their family, and they can bring their dog. You know, and it was just this, like, crazy—I mean, we kind of prayed about the dog. I was like, okay, God, like, if you could, that'd be great. You know, they'd like to take Winnie. And here, God just, like, lavished upon them, like, everything they needed. And in the meantime, they've gotten their visas, and they're now trying to scramble to get plane tickets. And um, so we've seen God answer prayer. We want to keep that in front of us. And and one of the, the things I want to talk about, too, is that this is for women and not just for men. So when we look at the book of Acts, um, there are women mentioned as leaders in the church um, and in the early movement of Christianity. Interestingly enough, we don't see any women performing miracles in the book of Acts. So as Kyle and I were driving back yesterday, we were kind of talking about that, and I was like, okay, talk to me about, I'm supposed to talk about women and our role in this, but we're not seeing any in Acts, so like, how do we? And as we kind of discussed it, we realized that The story of Acts is primarily about Peter and Paul and about how they started the church and spread Christianity through, like, the Near East. Um, And culturally, to even hear about Priscilla, who was a female leader in the church, in Acts 18, there's a story about how she and her husband, um, Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, sit down with Apollos, a new, um, really, like, gifted Christian leader, and correct him on his theology, you know, and Kyle said, for a man to read this, and this letter was written by a man to a man, basically, mm-hmm. for a man, he said it would basically set his hair on fire to hear a, a woman correcting a man on her theology. So, you know, there, there's some cultural aspects that are going on here where, like, there's not maybe going to be as much focus on specifics about women, because that would be kind of outside the cultural norm for them. But we do know that women were part of preaching in the foreign tongues in Acts 2, in that group, and in Acts two seventeen through 18, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And so, you know, I was raised in a church that, unlike the United Methodist Church, had a lot of limited roles for women, in addition to not really being open to the charismatic gifts. So this is, all of this is a, is a big uh, stretch for me outside of my we comfort zone. We are unrecognizable to yeah. some people now. Yeah. Yeah. And to myself a little bit, yeah, too. Right, yeah. um, and, and if you're
0: following absolutely. Jesus, who you were five years ago should seem like a fictional character.
1: Yeah, we want to okay. keep growing. We want to keep learning. Um, and so one of the ways that I've been challenged in the past couple of years is this idea that church needs spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And so for me, that has looked like it's not only important that I practice gifts of hospitality and compassion, which are kind of the traditional like women's like giftedness, you know, like the the teas and the hospitality stuff and the, the mercy ministry, but also that I practice the kingdom authority given to me by my heavenly father. And that doesn't, that's not about power over people. That's not about um, trying to be equal with Kyle or over Kyle or anyone else. That's strictly about living into um, who God has called me to be and, and, and being willing to get up and teach in this setting, to lead women's prayer, um, to serve on our oversight team, um, and to just use the gifts that God has given me in conjunction with Kyle for the benefit of our body, for the building up of our body, Mm -hmm. and to say to other women that if God is calling you um, to step out and to maybe do something that feels a little bit outside your comfort zone, he will equip you. And when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in the name of Jesus, he will give you the strength and the gifting that you need to do that. Mm Um, as we continue to learn from the early church in our study of Acts, be listening to God's voice, whether you're male or female, and like, what is he asking you to step into? How is he asking you to step out? What is it that he's asking you to do for the benefit of the kingdom and for your spiritual family?
0: One of the things that got my attention while I was preparing for this, there's an old story. It's probably not true, but it's a good story, uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas was uh, called upon by Pope Innocent II. So Thomas goes into the, the Pope's study, and he finds the Pope counting money, like a big pile, of, like Scrooge McDuck money, right? Like just counting the coins. And, uh, and he looks to Thomas, and he says, see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none, right? We got plenty. Thomas looks at him and says, yeah, but the church also can't say, rise up and walk, Right. The the moral of the story being, it's really easy to rely on financial capital to the expense of our spiritual capital. Um, when uh, when COVID hit, I was like, "Who is going to have to get fired? Uh, whose pay are we going to have to dock? Um, who's?" Uh, Steph and I both are in. Steph's the discipleship director here. One of us, you know, our family income's going to go down. We're not going to see da 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 da. Um, and actually, uh, our church, like many other churches in the United States, not all, but many, have, continu- have seen better giving during COVID uh, than at any other time prior to this. The Lord has always met our needs. The Lord has always, always met our needs. Sometimes in really surprising ways, He has, but sometimes it's really easy as churches to s- focus on what we can get done with our financial capital Uh, And to obsess about the scarcity of that resource, which ironically is not nearly as rare or nearly as valuable as spiritual capital. The capital that we earn, not just by giving and making wise decisions financially, but the capital that we earn through prayer. The capital that we earn through seasons of difficulty. Um, Back when COVID started, what I said was, and I felt like it was from the Lord, that when we emerge from this and see each other face to face, there are going to be people that you went to church with that are unrecognizable right? Because they'll have grown so much. And we saw that. Leaders, people became leaders in our church while nobody else was looking because of their faithfulness during COVID. They developed spiritual capital, right? And as a church, the reason we're having a day of prayer is because we need spiritual capital to move into this fall for the spiritual breakthrough that God is calling us to. We need spiritual capital, spiritual resources to press in for the breakthrough that he's calling us to. That's where spiritual capital is found. And if we have financial capital but don't have spiritual capital, yeah, we can buy a lot of stuff and have a lot of staff and do all of the right things, but we will never be able to say to a person, rise up and walk. We'll never be able to say to a person, rise up and walk.
1: We want to kind of close up this time by, by just highlighting again that when we look at Acts 3, the one thing we know for sure Is the only thing of lasting value we have to offer our friends, our families, our communities, our world, is the name of Jesus? And I think the question that I just kind of keep coming back to is, what's the boundary for you? Like, what's the barrier for you? What is keeping you from from fully leaning into that? Is it um, fear of what other people think? Is it um, disappointment with God over past um, letdowns and hurts? That was a big one for me. I really had to wrestle through and still sometimes do. Um, Is it tiredness? Is it overwhelmed? Is it I'm hopeless? Um, And we're going to move here in just a couple minutes into response time. And I really want to invite you to really listen to God's voice, to really search your heart. And own to the Lord what is that thing. And maybe even, like, write it down somewhere. Um, if you're feeling really brave, confess it to your spouse or your friend when you leave. And just say, you know what, I was sitting in there this morning and it really came to me that, like, I'm not really fully living into this because of whatever that is, fear, anxiety, disappointment, Um and, and really ask the Father to, to work that out in your heart. You know, repent of that. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for healing if you need healing, if it's hurt and disappointment. Um, we're going to take this time where you can go ahead and name that to yourself and pray about it. We're going to move into communion, mm-hmm. and we have another piece of business we're going to do. Saying and Yes, Hannah. yeah. But after all of that, if you need prayer today, if you even if you're, like, thinking, like, ah, again, I'm not even sure I know if this works or what I think about Jesus— If you need prayer today, when we're done with the service, we're going to ask everyone to leave. But if you need prayer, we're going to invite you to stay in your seat. Um, And Kyle and I will come and and pray for for you from a respectable distance. But we would love to pray for you um, and just be present with you. So let's just take a couple moments here and really focus on what the Father's inviting us to.